0: Hello, this is Marnae from the beautiful Columbia River Gorge in Oregon. And thank you, Dr. Warren, for the opportunity. I am
1: all in. Blessings to you.
0: Thanks, Marnay. Hey, friend, are you all in? It is all in August 2023. I can't believe it. It's the third year we've done all in August. Of course, based that, that idea all in is based on Mark Batterson's book, incredible book, All In, this month, we're going to take a different tack at it. We're going to see if you'll join us in becoming all-in at learning how to operate this incredible system that God has given you to help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And that can apply in every area of your life. This self-brain surgery idea can be spiritual. It can be physical. It can be emotional. It can be relational. It can be occupational, financial, Any way that you feel like you need to break some barriers, cast off restraints, and move forward in your life in something that's been holding you back, it's time to go all in. And you can leave us a voicemail, and you can get on the podcast, too, and tell us that you are all in with us. I'd love to hear your name and where you're from and what you're all in about. Lee Warren, I'm sorry, speakpipe.com slash Dr. Lee Warren speakpipe.com slash Dr. Lee Warren is the voicemail. You can leave us a voicemail just like Marnay did. And you can tell us that you're all in today. I've got one little idea for you. Okay, one little idea. I got to get outside and get my run in before the storm hits and before I have to go to work. So I'm going to give you one idea in one song, Andrew Peterson's song, Be Kind to Yourself, because I want you to go all in at being kind to yourself, okay? But today we're going to talk about this concept of what happens when we fret ourselves. I told you yesterday, Psalm 37 is our theme verse for this month. Psalm 37 is all about how to get out of your own head and let God help you think better move better, and live better, okay? So just have a couple of ideas around that concept. I'm going to break down this false belief that we can multitask. We're going to get really good at drilling in on one central idea of something that I heard on social media that kind of stopped me in my tracks. And then I'm just going to just drop this truth bomb on you, and we're going to move on with our day. Okay, you ready? We're going to try to become healthier and feel better and be happier by finally going all in with our own lives. And we're going to learn that we can't change our lives until we change our minds. And to do that, we have to, say it with me, we have to start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. All right. So I was on Instagram the other day and I saw a post and I can't for the life of me remember who posted this I didn't save it for some reason I wasn't thinking at the time of making this a podcast but it stuck with me this idea I I mentioned it to Lisa but I didn't save the post so if you happen to follow some of the same accounts that I do on Instagram and if you're not following me by the way at Dr. Lee Warren on Instagram at Dr. Lee Warren on Instagram and Twitter and it's just Lee Warren on Facebook Um, but give us a follow Lisa is Lisa D Warren on Instagram She doesn't really do Twitter, but she's Lisa D. Warren on Twitter as well. At Lisa D. Warren. Um, Anyway, I saw this post, and it stuck in my head, and I can't stop thinking about it. And here's what he said for she, whoever posted it. it said, what you are actively doing is what you are getting better at. What you're doing is what you're getting better at. And that sounds like such a simple thing, but, but friend, from a neuroscience perspective, that's exactly right. If you spend all day worrying you are getting better and better at worrying not just simply stated not just a one of those motivational speaker kind of things hey stop worrying because you're getting better at worrying but from a neuroscience perspective when you do something in your mind when you create a directed mental force as jeffrey schwartz would call it when you put your brain energy on something negative or positive inevitably you are going to create synapses around that thought process that are going to automate it because you're teaching your brain that at this time and in this way. And when I feel this thing, I think about that thing and i And I create this neurotransmitter reality about that thing, and that'll become more and more and more automated and more automatic and easier for you to slip back into next time. So if you just spent all day yesterday and all night last night worrying about something that may or may not happen, guess what? Today, in your quiet moments when you're not tied up doing something else, you're going to slip into that worry mode. Because you're teaching your default mode network of your brain that it's helpful to you to ruminate or that you desire to ruminate on that same thought. And you will slip into it. And before you know it, you will have spent most of today worrying about the same thing that you spent all last night and all day yesterday worrying about. Because what you're doing, you're getting better at Now, simultaneously, we've talked a million times about severing six synapses and having these these, uh, brain process, self-brain surgery ideas that we can learn to interrupt those circuits and teach our brain and our brand new neurons that we generate every day better ways to behave. Right. So you can break that cycle of endlessly worrying and thinking about the same thing. Now, we all think, we've heard it a million times, this common phrase that we use, multitasking. We all think that we can worry about this and take care of that and do this job and do that job and listen to music and write a paper and be on the phone and be texting texting somebody else and be scrolling and and doing all those things at the same time. We all think that we can multitask and accomplish a lot of stuff, but the fact is you can't actually multitask at all. Your brain cannot do more than one thing at a time. The reason you think you can is because your brain is a highly designed and incredibly efficient supercomputer that can switch back and forth between multiple things quickly, so quickly that you can't really perceive that you're not actually doing more than one thing at a time. But what happens is the more... Processes just like the computer, right? The the number of tabs that you have open on your browser will eventually begin to degrade the performance of the machine so that it's not performing as efficiently and effectively as it should because you're asking too much of it. And your brain is exactly the same way. The more processes you attempt to run at the same time, the less efficiently you will run any of those singular processes. So if you're spending all day stewing and worrying about something and trying to be a good husband or wife or father or mother, or grandparent, or friend, or employee, and trying to scroll through Instagram so you don't feel so bad all the time, and trying to X, Y, or Z, guess what? You're not going to accomplish any of those things very well. Okay, That's why Jesus said it plainly in the the Sermon on the Mount. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry. Don't worry. Because, friend, the truth is, what you cannot directly control, if you're worrying about it, it's just hurting you. It is not helping you. It will not solve the problem. You already know this, by the way, because in your life, how many times you've spent an entire night worrying about something that you actually influenced the ultimate outcome of it by the mental energy that you spent worrying? Or how many times did the lack of sleep make you better able to deal with it the next day than you would have if you had... Prayed about it, put it to bed, slept well, and forgotten about it until you actually had to interact with it and engage with it. How many times was it better because of that? And that's why, my friend, Psalm 37 says it so plainly. This is our all-in-August chapter. Listen to the context. This is English Standard Version because I love the way it says it. Psalm of David, who certainly had plenty of things to worry about. He was constantly having his kids murdering and raping each other. He was constantly having somebody trying to overthrow him. Constantly trying to fight a war against the next kingdom over. Constantly getting himself in trouble with his general lack of ability to to do things correctly. He's all kinds of trouble. The man after God's own heart had constant things to concern himself about. But here's what he said after thinking about this stuff for his whole lifetime fret not yourself because of evildoers. Now remember, he has guys outside who are literally trying to overthrow his kingdom. He has family members who are literally murdering and raping each other. And he says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers for they will soon fade. He's saying, don't spend your mental energy worrying about what other people are doing. Now, that's different than saying don't make a strategy to defend the palace if the enemy is literally going to take over and try to, try to you know throw you off the throne. That's not the same as saying don't be strategic and don't make a plan and don't be wise. And it's not saying that. He's saying don't sit in your bed and worry yourself to death about what other people are doing and whether they're being successful or not. And what do you do? What's the solution? Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and make friends with faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You get that? He's not saying God will give you every little thing you ever wanted. He's saying if you love what he loves, then your heart will get what it really wants because he'll give you the desires of your heart when your heart wants the right things. He says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness. Be still. Before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Here it is again. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in the way, over the one who carries out his evil devices. Don't worry about what other people are doing. And especially, verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Listen, from a neuroscience perspective, when you're stewing and angry and boiling, All you're doing is hurting your own brain chemistry and you're diminishing your capacity to make purposeful decisions that will help you solve the actual thing that you're upset about because you're so angry you can't think clearly. And here's what he says. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. How many times in your life have you had a good solution to something by spending hours and hours being boiling angry about it? How many times have you come to the answer that would ultimately lead you to peace and being happy again by being super angry and giving into that and going down in this hole of, of murderous, boiling anger? <laughs> it's it tends towards evil, right? It leads to blow-ups. It leads to cussing. It leads to throwing things at each other. It leads to sleeping on the couch. It leads to sometimes divorce or alcoholism or abuse or throwing a punch when you didn't want to or putting your hand through a wall. This this anger and stewing tends only, David says, towards evil, right? And he's the guy that got the spear chucked at him by Saul. Like He knows what happens when you sit and ruminate about how mad you are at somebody else. It doesn't generally help you in any meaningful way. And you certainly can't be harboring that thought and praying for someone or doing something good or thinking good thoughts or being in communion with the Holy Spirit while you're down in that hole, right? Because what you're doing, you're getting better at. So if you're spending time in that hole, you're getting better at finding your way into that hole. Now, that's a long preamble to this concept, but I just wanted to remind you what Psalm 37 is all about. Refrain from anger, anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, okay? The rest of that chapter goes into all this stuff about what's going to happen, what God's going to do, and God's going to take care of it. He's going to handle it so you don't have to worry about it. The Lord delivers them The Lord helps them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them. So don't worry about it. Let God handle it. He's going to take care of it, right? That's what Psalm 37, my friend, is all about. Now, I want to tell you, there's another chapter, Psalm 126. This one's the one for those of you who are going through or have recently been through the massive thing. My new book, Hope is the First Dose, talks about the massive thing, these traumas and tragedies and trials and temptations and hard things that we go through in our lives, these these loss of dreams and these deaths of things that we've long hoped for, or these, you know, 10 years ago my son died. That was our massive thing, our first massive thing. But there's always something. And when you have them, Psalm 126 gives us a little nugget of wisdom that turns out to be incredibly important. He starts by talking about this bad thing that's happened to them. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues were filled with songs of joy. So so they've been in a bad situation and God brought them out, right? And here's what happened. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Verse 4. So he's saying, hey, we were in this bad situation and you brought us out and here's what we learned in verse 5. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. What in the world is he talking about? Well, let me tell you. A few weeks after Mitch died, we came to this realization that we were going to have to go back to work. And we did not feel like it. We were crying. We were devastated. We were lost. We didn't know what was going to happen. We were not in a good place. I certainly didn't feel like being a doctor for somebody else. I I needed a doctor for me and my broken heart and my broken teeth and my shingles and my sore shoulder and my gray hair. I needed a doctor, somebody to help me. But it was time to go back to work. And we did it. We said our 10 employees deserved not to be laid off our patients deserve to be taken care of our referring physicians deserve to have a neurosurgeon help them with their patients who are suffering and struggling and we have to go back to work we are in a reality where it's time to go and we were not ready so we saw that as sowing with tears we went out and we planted those fields and did the work and and did the stuff we had to do to keep our business afloat and guess what happened a year or so later, we just sort of slowly realized that we'd made it through this difficult season and we kept our business afloat. And God blessed us. He brought patients. He kept referring doctors calling us. He, he kept us. We never missed payroll. We didn't have to lay anybody off. We were able to keep our business going and we didn't lose everything, but we could have. And when we realized that, it gave us this incredible peace and joy that God had been faithful to us. He was, it was true that He was close to us when we were brokenhearted. Like Psalm thirty four eighteen says, it was true. He kept His promise that if we would go out and sow those seeds, even while we were suffering and even while we had tears in our eyes, that we would eventually be able to reap that harvest of, thank God we stayed alive. We didn't starve. We didn't lose our house. We didn't drink ourselves to death. We didn't get divorced. We didn't lose our business. We didn't have to lay off our employees. We didn't have to send patients to another doctor. We made it through. And that created joy mixed in with the sorrow and sadness that we will always feel over losing our son. Now, I want to give you a thought. Our friend Jerry Deaver, the farmer who works the field across the, uh, in our, property across the way from her house and then across the driveway in Mrs. Craftsman's field, Jerry and his crew, his dad and all of his folks, work that field. And they plant alfalfa and they plant sorghum and they plant wheat and they do all kinds of things to to create a crop that provides food for people and animals and hay and they take care of lots of people because of working these fields. Well, let me just tell you this, Jerry, I I know he's talked about this, he lost his first wife to glioblastoma as a young man, and she was a young woman. And I know there came a time, and Jerry, I'm sorry if if I'm sharing too much of your story here, but there came a time when he had to go back to work and get on that tractor and get back after it, just like we did after we lost our son. But here's a metaphor I want to give you. What if Jerry had sowed his seeds of tears what if he got in the tractor while he was weeping and he just planted a field and he drove to the next field and planted that field in sorrow and drove to the next field and planted that field in sorrow and drove to the next field and planted that field in sorrow. And what if he just kept planting while weeping and kept planting for the rest of his life? Well, what would happen? He would just drive all around Nebraska planting. Well, there would come a time when the crops behind him started to grow, Right. And the fields that he had planted would come to full readiness, and he wouldn't be there to harvest them they would They would go to seed and they would eventually just fall over and die and become compost in those fields and the crop would be wasted, and it wouldn't benefit anybody except some of the passing birds right and he would have failed to reap the harvest. It could have brought joy and could have brought success, and all he's doing is driving around the fields planting in sorrow. And friend, that can happen to you if you're not careful after the massive thing. There are people, in fact, there are whole platforms on the Internet, and there are whole support groups full of people. And we know some of these people, and you do too, who they have this massive thing happen to them, and that becomes the only thing they can see or do for the rest of their life. They plant in sorrow for the rest of their life, and they never come back to harvest the field. And that doesn't make sense, does it? God is telling you that sometimes you have to get up when you don't feel like it, and you have to get after it again. Even though you're still crying, because there will come a time when he will turn that into a crop that you can harvest and use for yourself and for the benefit of other people again in your life. Friend, what you are doing, you are getting better at. So if you are sowing in sorrow and you don't ever switch to harvesting and joy, then you are going to get really, really good at being a person who is a professional sufferer. And that sounds, I'm not I'm not beating you up. I'm just telling you how easy it is to let that happen. And if you're at a place when that's what's happened to you, if you've been stuck in the sowing seeds of sadness phase of your massive thing, it's time to make a switch. It's time to go all in on letting God help you do something different. Now, we say it all the time. If you want to feel better, do better. That's a, a motivational speaker thing. Tony Robbins has said it. Our pastor, Chris Hodges, used to say it actions leading feelings and all that stuff but let me tell you why it's true from the brain standpoint okay if you're feeling bad and you can't figure out how to get unstuck you need to get up and go for a walk you need to get up and go exercise you need to get up and go do something else why not because you're just trying to not think about it for a little bit but because you can't multitask i told you that earlier you can't actively multitask you can do more than one thing in a short amount of time but you can't do more than one thing at one time and so when you start moving your brain starts releasing neurotransmitters that make you feel a little bit better and your brain doesn't care if you get your dopamine from moving or if you get your dopamine from not having had a bad event occur okay but once you have some dopamine you're going to start making some pathways in your brain that say hey i can feel better if i do this thing again And instead of getting the dopamine from alcohol or from some other harmful thing, you can be the self brain surgeon here and you can choose to direct your energy to something that will help you. And it's time to go all in on being a good doctor for yourself, friend. So if you're feeling bad, start moving, start doing something else, because what's going to happen is the things that you do, you become good at. So if you start doing something different than sowing seeds of tears all the time, you will start feeling a little bit better. And if you start doing something different than fretting yourself all the time, you'll start feeling better. And guess what's going to happen? Once you automate that process of doing that thing that makes you feel a little better, you're going to clear some mental space And generate some mental energy that you've been using to harbor those negative feelings or thoughts or worries or angers or pain or anything else that you've been ruminating around on. You're going to free up a little bit of room and you will be able to direct that neuroplasticity and create a better direction to spend that energy. One thing that we get from Psalm 46, I never saw this in my whole life until last week. I was on the tractor and I was listening to the audiobook of Susie Larson's book called Fully Alive, which I cannot recommend highly enough. It's from a few years ago, and it's about learning how to flourish even when you're in a season of pain or even when you've gone through something hard. How to next level your life by coming fully alive. And Susie talked to me. She's going to come on the podcast, by the way, August 18th. I'm interviewing her to talk about her new book. And September 1st, she's going to come on, and we're going to talk about neuroscience and and her book, Fully Alive, and how it meshes with my book, Hope is the First Dose, and all that. So you got two doses of Susie Larson coming up. But she talked about Psalm 46, when God says... Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46.10. We quote that verse all the time. It was mentioned again in Psalm 37, this idea of be still and know that I'm God. And when we hear that, we almost always hear it in this kind of voice. Hey, hey, Lisa. Hey, Lola. Hey, Dennis. Hey, Lee. Hey, Brian. Hey, Charles. Be still and know that I'm God. I've got you. Give me a hug. Come on. Come in here and be still. That's how we hear it. But you look at the context of Psalm 46, Susie Larson said this, and it stopped me in my tracks, literally stopped the tractor and rewound it so I could hear it again. The context here is not God with his arm around you, with you sitting in his lap, with him holding on to you saying, calm down, I've got you, I love you, it's all sweet and wonderful. No, God is in the midst of something mighty here starts with verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. We will not fear of the earth give away, and the mountains fall in the heart of the sea, and the waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. He's in the middle of this cataclysmic event. God, verse 6, nations are in uproar, kingdoms are falling, he lifts his voice, and the earth melts. God is shouting in the midst of this cataclysmic apocalyptic event, kingdoms are falling, nations are in uproar, you're terrified, and everything is happening. There's war going on. And it says down in verse 9, God makes the war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And that's when, in verse 10, he says, be still and know that I am God. Listen. This is not the soft voice of God with his arm around you saying, hey, honey, hey, buddy, calm down. It's going to be okay. Like I used to talk to Mitch when he was stressed. or My kids, hey, buddy, it's going to be okay. Be just calm down. It's going to be all right. That's not what's happening here. The war is happening. The earth is shattering. The fires are happening. God grabs the bow out of your hand and snaps it. He shatters your weapon. He burns your shield up with fire. And he thunders. His voice booms and quakes and grabs the attention of the universe and brings the war to a stop like a screech of the record. And he says, be still and know that I am God. He's yelling. This raises the hair on my arms to think this. When you are fretting yourself, you are directing your mental energy into a hole, and a storm gets louder and louder and louder in your head until that's all you can hear and it's all you can see. And you don't need somebody to come alongside and pat you on the back and tell you to calm down and it's going to be okay. You need God to grab that neurotransmitter storm and part those waters and shatter that shield that you're putting up over every other voice that can come in and try to help you. And you need Him to tell you to knock it off. And be still and know that He is God because you have no other hope for finding your way forward than Him showing you the path. If you delight yourself in Him, He will give you the desires of your heart. If you fret not yourself, it will stop tending towards evil and it will start becoming a path for you to climb back up towards the light again. Because Psalm 46.11 The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Friend, you need to stop sowing in tears at some point. It's fine. It's appropriate. When it's time to sow, it's time to sow. When it's time to plant, Jerry's got to get on the tractor and get after it. And when it's time for you to move, even when you're still weeping, that's okay. But there has to come a point when you switch implements on the back of your tractor and you start harvesting again, when you stop Going down the hole of terror and you start letting him help you be still and know that he is God again. When you stop fretting yourself, when you stop letting the voices overtake you, that's when you can start being good at something else. So the question is, you know you can't multitask. So you know you can't live with these two realities anymore and it's time to go all in on helping yourself become healthier and feel better and be happier. And It's time to be kind to yourself, friend. It's time to break the chain of fretting yourself. It's time to break the chain of sowing in sadness. It's time to start reaping with joy, and that's what we're going to figure out in All in August. Andrew Peterson's song, Be Kind to Yourself, is going to take us out. It's a great song about just learning how to know that it's okay to be kind to yourself because your Father loves you. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind. I want to hear from you if you're all in. I hope this was helpful. I'd love to hear from you today to tell me if this was helpful or not. This 28 minutes and 39 seconds, we've been talking about this together. So, love you we're with you we're hopeful that god will break through for you this month that you'll finally go all in i hope that you're reading my book hope is the first dose there's a bible study on new version five days you can get and i'd love to hear from you if the book is helpful i would love to hear your feedback to hear how you're changing your mind and changing your life through the power of self-brain surgery and i hope my friend that you're ready to start today
1: That's even like an ocean And you're drowning in a deep, dark well I can hear it in your voice That if you only had a choice You would rather be anyone else I love you just the way that you are I love the way you made your precious heart Be kind to yourself Be kind to yourself I know it's hard to hear it when that anger in your spirit Is pointed like an arrow at your chest When the voices in your mind are anything but kind And you can't believe your father knows best I love you just the way that you are expect to be perfect it's a fight you gotta forfeit you belong to me whatever you do so lay down your weapon darling take a deep breath and believe that i love you be kind to yourself be kind to yourself